Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 71, recorded January 12th, 2012. So we're doing a mini-series this, these next couple of weeks. We're doing the Modala Imperative. Ah, and how many parts are in that, Donovan? Uh, and the uh, Star Trek original series Modala Imperative is four ep- issues, and then there's the Next Generation ep- uh, miniseries, which is also four issues. So we will do. Yep. So we'll do two issues today, uh, three issues next week, and then three issues the week after that. So it'll be three of our episodes, but a total of eight books. Excellent. And this is the first time that uh, that DC Comics was allowed to have a story continue from the original series into the next generation. Oh, I know that. Yeah, so because we read them out of order, we already read the uh, Gary Seven annuals that that earlier. I forgot what what issue or what episode that was, but uh, we did the the two annuals that had the Gary Seven storyline kind of crossover. Right. But chronologically wise, that that was released several years after after this miniseries. So this was their first one, and it was to take advantage of the 25th anniversary of Star Trek that was happening in 1991. Cool. And of course, oddly enough, it's isn't this around twenty five years for next gen? So isn't that isn't that isn't that kind of distressing though? I mean, I remember when it was uh, original Trek twenty fifth anniversary. I have like a poster here that I gotten that has the you know three three versions of the Enterprise, movie original and then uh, D. And I remember when it was twenty five years for Star Trek, and now it's twenty five years for next gen. I don't know how the time uh, passes. That's crazy. It's crazy, man. Okay. So it's almost time for the next next generation. <laughs> uh yeah, will Paramount allow somebody to make a uh, a new Star Trek TV show? They've turned people down in the past. Yeah, we'll just stick with the the JJ Abrams series and see where that goes. Which if I'm not mistaken, uh started filming today. Oh, wow. Cool. So when Very we cool. release this in 3 months, uh shoot it might be done by then, but but as of today, the recording, I think that it, it started filming today. That's very cool. With uh, a very interesting um, actor uh, selected to play the villain. Uh, what is his name? Bumber shoot something like that? <laughs> Benedict Benedict Cumberbach. Cumberbach, right. Or Cumberbatch? Or Batch? Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch, yeah, that's right. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I've never watched him in that Sherlock show, but uh, that, that's the only thing I had even knew that he, he was ever in. Um, yeah, he's, he's on that show. I've watched all the episodes that have been released in the States so far, and he is quite excellent in it. And when I had heard they had picked him, it was like, cool. That is cool. The actor's really good as Sherlock Holmes. I haven't seen him in anything else. Uh, but I mean, he—he's a relatively accomplished uh, English actor, and I guess in, the, in English TV and, and, and movie and cinema and things like that. So I guess he's pretty good. He's in that new Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy movie, which just was released. Uh, with Gary Oldman, exactly, playing the uh, uh, Sir Guinness role, um, Obi Wan Kenobi role. He's playing Obi Wan Kenobi. It's a remake of something. It, it was a novel. And then Sir Alec Guinness played the the part of uh, the master spy Ripley. Uh, I forgot the name. It, anyway, so he played him originally decades ago, and now they're remaking the film again. Okay, anyway, so it should be good, and uh, you know, seeing him in that is good too. So. Yeah, I'm just curious to know what he's going to play. Is he going to play he human, too. Klingon, Romulan? What? Exactly. Okay. Anyways, should we uh, talk about this miniseries? Please, let's do. <laughs> All right, so uh, I got the honors of synopsizing the uh, first issue. 
Uh, it is entitled A Little Seasoning. And we actually have the Next Generation crew doing the work here. So we have Michael Jan Friedman as the writer, Pablo Marcos as the artist, Bob Pinaha as the letterer, Tom McCraw is the colorist, Robert Greenberger is the editor, and then we have special thanks to Raphael Galur for art assistance. So I don't, I don't know how much he actually did, but he's in the credit, so... I, I will just comment before we before you start that the artwork does not look does not have quite the look of what I'm used to seeing from Pablo Marcus. I will agree. So it's cool, it's unique, um, but it's not it's not the kind of art like he did with Next Gen. Right. Yeah, I had some comments about that too. Okay. All right. So starts off with the cover, as all comic books do. Uh, this shows an original series era Kirk standing to the right of the page. Uh, to his left, or to the left of him, we see a picture of the original Enterprise. Uh, below that are some headshots of Spock and McCoy, and it's a very sleepy-looking Spock. Uh, below them is a scene of the bridge with Scotty, Chekhov, and Sulu. And then finally there's a shot of Ahura in the foreground uh, and she's just sitting in her chair with, uh, looks like she's playing with her earring, not necessarily the the Bluetooth thing that usually goes in her ear. And uh, just a little comment that uh, this was drawn with just a hint of a wardrobe malfunction, which I'm sure we'll talk about during the comments. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so the story starts off with Scotty in the command chair giving orders to Mr. Chekhov. He has to call Chekhov's name three times before the young ensign snaps out of his revelry and responds to Scotty. Scotty then berates him in front of the bridge crew uh, that daydreaming on duty can lead to deaths. Chekhov's only response is, it won't happen again. Then we see a full-page shot of the Enterprise in orbit of a very gaseous-looking planet with some surrounding gaseous-looking moons. So the, these planets are very much in the style of what we would have actually seen in the original series, where they just circles with gas stuff in the middle. Kirk's Captain's Logs brings us to up-to-date as to what's going on. The Enterprise has been ordered to evaluate the natives of Beta Dameron V, also known as Modala to see if they are ready for first contact procedures. Kirk has a special attachment to this place because 10 years ago, while he was a lieutenant, he performed the initial survey uh, that recommended that the Modalans needed a little more seasoning before they were brought into the galactic fold. He will now be part of a two-man team that will beam down to the surface and reevaluate the natives and possibly offer them membership into the Federation, or at least... Perform, perform the first contact uh, procedures. So Kirk steps out of the turbo lift into the rec room and finds Spock preparing for their scheduled chess match. Spock tries to talk Kirk out of his choice of having Chekhov be the other member of the two-man team. Kirk assures Spock that there's nothing to worry about, but he makes a mistake in the game and Spock places his king into check. In Chekhov's quarters, Sulu pays him a visit. He, t he tries to console Chekhov that he is not the first green apple that's ever stepped onto the Enterprise. He retells the story of his first day and that he spilt coffee all over the console. Chekhov does not admit that he's even nervous. But as soon as Sulu walks off, his face tells a completely different story. Sometime later, Chekhov and Kirk beam down to Modala. They arrive in a dark alley. And Kirk states that he's looking forward to see how much progress the Modalans have made in the last decade. When they step out onto the street, Kirk is shocked to see military troops and vehicles everywhere, and that the people are walking around in obvious fear. They spot a young woman who stops to speak to another man nearby. One of the troops sees this and ascends on her and is stating that there is no assembly allowed. She says that she was only asking for directions. The troop does not want to hear it, and he starts to strike her. Kirk steps in and takes the blow himself. 
As the trooper is manhandling Kirk, Chekhov takes the young woman back into the dark alley. She is obviously scared and runs off before he can get any idea as to what's going on. Back on the ship, Spock and McCoy talk about Kirk's decision to leave both of them on board. Uh, McCoy is a little flabbergasted that uh, he's not part of the uh, initial team. Uh, Spock states that Kirk has everything under control. When McCoy states that he bets that Spock tried to talk Kirk out of it, Spock denies and leaves sickbay. On the planet, Kirk and Chekhov meet back up in the alleyway. Kirk is shocked about the current state of affairs. He says he makes a comment that all regimes have, will have some sort of resistance. And then, right on cue, a nearby building explodes. A group of men riding in a vehicle come down the street with rifles. They're shouting, first the Ministry of Order, then the police themselves, and they're shooting their guns up in the air. The troopers start opening fire on these men uh, with some sort of energy weapon. Chekhov is quite concerned about this type of weapons since it's much more advanced than the Modellan should be at. Kirk jumps into the fray to help a bystander who had fallen and is arrested when a trooper places his gun on Kirk's face and says, You're under arrest, rebel scum. On the ship, Ahura is picking up transmissions about the disturbance near the captain's beam-down location. Spock orders her to try to contact the captain. On the planet, a trooper hears Kirk's communicator go off. He orders Kirk to show him what's making the noise. Chekhov tries to stand in between them and gets a rifle butt to the face for his efforts. Kirk takes out his communicator and tosses it under a nearby moving car. Kirk and Chekhov are then forced into a paddy wagon along with all the other arrested rebels. To be continued. Mm-hmm. So another landing party in trouble. Yes, indeed. This does happen on occasion in the Star Trek universe. Yes, and that was one of my comments, is that I love that this is... This might be the first of the you know, second volume of, of Star Trek comic books uh, that DC was producing that actually felt like a, a TV episode. A TV episode, yeah. You're right. Right. It's kind of... for, yeah, I mean, we're actually exploring a new civilization, you know, because all, all exactly. of the first two years of the original series uh, comics that we've been reading uh, that came out in 90 and 91, it all seemed to be, you know, just driving around helping people <laughs> that that already are part of the federation or trying exactly. to get away from or with Klingons the or exactly yeah except but this one is an actual this is a new race these are you know in a situation where they're not prepared for anything i right. liked it really yeah. liked it. and also a nice new spin on things um is that rather than doing the kind of thing they always do, and, and McCoy does comment on it, <laughs> uh, rather than the, the, the terrific trio going down like normal, uh, they got a noob going down, uh, Chekhov. I think that that's pretty cool. That's It kind of mixes it up a little bit. Yeah, it kind of threw me off, though, because I spent a lot of time trying to figure out where in the Star Trek timeline this would fit. Uh, because they don't tell you, and and when you pick up a book that has the original series, you you assume that it's going to be after the third season. But this is no, you know, you find out fairly yeah. early on that this is when Chekhov first comes aboard exactly. the ship. Exactly. In fact, McCoy doesn't even know what, what Chekhov's name is at one point because it, it's that early. Exactly. Right. He's instant. Now, what's his name? One of the first places I remember seeing Chekhov was Trouble with Tribbles. But he was around before that, right? I think he started early first season, or early, early second, second season. Second season, right. Yeah. Okay. So I remember him being a little green when he was explaining or, or his assessment <laughs> of, uh, was it the space station or, or something where they were close to the Klingons? And, uh, and Chekhov makes a joke about them being close enough to smell them and then uh spock says you know extremely little you know disapprovingly looking at him and he says it was just a little joke and then spock says extremely little ensign it's like ah <laughs> uh, 
I, I that, don't remember that one. That was an early one where he was being berated by Spock. Um, but this one appears even earlier than that where uh, Scotty rips into him pretty good. Yeah, Scotty rips into him really good. <laughs> I was kind of surprised how much he did rip into him. But uh, Chekhov was definitely daydreaming. Right. Rightly. I mean, yeah. Scotty definitely did the right thing. Yeah. But it is a little out of character to see Scotty ripping into somebody. Yep. And not only that, Sulu seems uh, like he isn't all that far out of the green zone. But you know he's been around a while. Right, because oh. wasn't he like a botanist or something there on the Enterprise during the pilot, and then he became a helmsman at, at some point later, after oh. the first couple episodes? Oh, you mean on uh, the Kirk pilot? Right, right. Yeah, ooh. Oh, he was a botanist? Is that what you said? Yeah, because when they... Because oh, he, the, he all, the Doctor, the and Daner all come up at the same time wearing the science shirts. Exactly right. And, and so they were the heads of all the different uh, departments or something? Yeah, right. And Sulu was one of them. Oh, that's a, that's a good point. I should really go back and look at that. I don't remember, the, I don't remember that detail. But that, that kind of, it kind of rings a bell, though. Right. So, I mean, obviously it's been – and that's why when he said that about his first day and he spilt coffee all over the console and, the, and you know, the nitpicky guy in my back back of my mind was like, the console at the botany station, the console on the helm station, what are you trying to say? What was your first day? Because exactly. it should be green room or whatever, wherever they're normally at. Right. So is that part of the reason uh, Sulu has such an interest in, in botany in later comic books? Right, exactly. Oh, interesting. I, I, I did not realize that tie-in. Yeah, we had comic books where he was really into botany, and then we had other comic books where he was really into history. Yeah. And I could never figure out the history part. Yeah. But at least there's kind of sort of a uh, a tie-in to the botany thing. Interesting. Right. Okay, let's talk about the cover. Yeah, so you want to talk about how sleepy Spock looks? No. Oh. I want to talk about how unsleepy uh, Ohura's look makes me. Okay, so... Okay. <laughs> she She's very voluptuous. I mean, I would say even... Well, I don't know. Maybe even more voluptuous than Nicole, Nicole Nichols was. Uh, or Nichelle Nichols was. Um, I mean, she's really curvaceous. She's got some meat to her. Right. Uh, but not fat. I'm not saying fat. And then the clothing malfunction. Okay, so she's in the, the short miniskirt thing. She's seated at her at her station. Um, at least I assume she's at, seated at her station. Because uh, you don't really see her station. Uh, she's kind of superimposed on, on a lot of other uh, photos and, and situations. But um, she's in the short miniskirt, red miniskirt, that is slit up the left side. And it is slit up the left side so high that it is exposing a little panty. <laughs> Which is like, I don't think I ever saw that kind of slit uh, well, going up that high in the TV series. And I certainly didn't see any underwear before. Right. In, in the show, they had like red shorts or something underneath. Because every once in a while, it did get their, their skirts did get hiked up a little too high. And you saw that they were wearing some sort of red, red shorts or red underwear of some sort. Hamana, hamana. I'm going to have to go back and uh, look at some of the original series. Watch it in Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> and you can pick up the detail. Right. I, I think it's usually like, well, I think I saw it when they were, one episode where they were being hit by something and they were falling around the bridge. Ah, the opportunity for uh, the pause and slow motion frame by frame. Gotcha. I, I never did any of that, but sure. Okay. <laughs> But anyways, uh, but this definitely is not red, what, what's underneath her her miniskirt. It's no. kind of a grayish color. Yeah, gray, light, light blue, something. Anyway, it's oh, anyways. Cool. So what do you think about Scotty? How he's depicted? He's very determined. And maybe doesn't look incredibly like James Dewayhand? Yeah, I thought they... they Except for Chekhov, I thought they all and 
Ahura doesn't look at anything like her face yeah. doesn't look at all like Ahura's Nichelle face. Nichols. Yeah. No. But, yeah, uh, she, her face is not Nichelle Nichols, and quite frankly, even though Scotty's face, okay, I mean you can tell it's Scotty, but in my opinion, I think, I think, um, I think in many ways it does not look like James Doohan. I, I can see that, but but I, I, I don't know. And I would also say that there are many. Uh, let's just talk about the. Let, let's move off the cover for a minute. Okay. And I know you got some stuff to say here, but I will say that I like the art. Um, I like the art style, um, for the most part. But there are multiple places where it is not as uh, true to the original actors, uh, some of the original actors, as I would prefer. And definitely the Enterprise, though, looks stylish. Um, it looks funky in a lot of uh, in a lot of drawings. I mean, just like. Just, just, just not right proportions. Um, just kind of, I don't know. It's like, like they said, you know, I'm, si- I'm sick of drawing the Enterprise. Uh, let's try to make it look a little funkier. <laughs> and then the last thing I'll say is, uh, I, I, I like the muted gray uh, and brown and earth colors that uh, many of the uh, planets are uh, painted or colored or whatever. Didn't they look like the old, old style show where they would just be like a circle of you know, murky water or smoke or whatever they used to look like. Yes, I think you're right. Maybe that's what they were going for. Yeah, I, huh. I, I like that because it, it really looked like it was what you would have gotten in a 1960s special effect. <laughs> right. Yeah, very, very light on uh, on detail. Right. You know, you're not going to see detail land masses like you saw in uh, Next Gen and, and, and the movies. Right. No, I, I like that, I, or at least I liked it that it was a you know a retro type look. Um, the I agree with you that the Enterprise at times looked, I thought it looked pretty good, and then at other times it looked uh, way off. Right. And as far as the overall art, as as far as the people go, uh, yeah. I like it. I like this style here better than I've liked Pablo Marcos's style in the Next Gen. Right. For whatever reason, I think it. It seems to work better here than than what I was getting in the next gen uh, issues that he did. Uh, but I agree. With you. At, at times, the actors don't look at all, or the um, the art doesn't look at all like the actors. Right, and it and it varies because there are some parts where he does a good job of uh, you know drawing Shatner, and in other places, you can tell it's Shatner, but it doesn't look like him. I mean, but you know. I just want to say I like it. It's yeah. just not as accurate as I normally prefer. Right. I thought Chekhov was the Chekhov and McCoy seemed to be the two that were off the most. Yeah. Sometimes McCoy just looked like a monkey or something. <laughs> Sometimes Spock is off. Yeah. But but, Especially but I, I, I at a distance. Right. Right. Anyway. But anyways. So I would like to say I, I like how McCoy points out that he and Spock always beam down with the captain. Uh, he calls it a natural law. <laughs> and it's like, yes, I totally agree. <laughs> and I like the fact he pointed it out. Yeah, I wish he would have said, it's always me, you, Jim, and a red shirt guy that doesn't ever come back up with us. <laughs> True. <laughs> that dies, exactly. Right. I have to say, he's dead, Jim, and then we beam back up and we go to our next planet. It's a natural law. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was good. I, I, Again, because this is supposed to be when Chekhov's so new, uh, it still it threw me that McCoy didn't even know what Chekhov's name was during that scene. Right. <laughs> right. And how Chekhov does act a little weird when he's down there on the planet a time or two. I think it's more the next issue than this one. Right. Where he's just acting out of character. Well, the, the, the amount of... Um, the amount that he's so down on himself and so nervous and stuff, it's just... Um, this guy's green and really worry about failing. <laughs> Which, right. Uh, well, obviously he's got a little bit more confidence... Uh, a little more cocky uh, Russian confidence uh, in the TV series. Right, and, and we know that he ultimately does pretty well for himself. Yep. 
Security chief. Who would have thunk? Right. Now, um, I do have a, a point just on a particular page. It, did you notice on page five, uh, the when Kirk and Spock are playing chess, that there's this transition um, about halfway through the page where it goes to a profile of Spock and how his, his ear is actually superimposed over the picture above it? On the upper panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, and Kirk's foot from the one above is kind yeah, of... Exactly, beating, right. And even Spock's left right foot is a little overlapping with the panel beneath it, yes. I like that. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I think it is too. You know, doing something different, something unique. I like it. Yep. And that's not the only place they do that. It was the only place that really jumped out at me. They, they did on the next page, on page six. Right, so, with his hand and stuff. Uh, Ohura's feet is what I was thinking of. But, is that supposed um, to be Ohura? I, I wasn't sure. Well, I think it is, but I guess it could be somebody else. Because I thought she was still on the bridge with, uh, she was on the bridge when Scotty's laying into Chekhov, wasn't she? Uh, maybe, but is that exactly the same time period? I don't know. Because you don't, well. But if you look at Ohura on page one, and then you look at that, that, um, that woman on page six, I mean, their hair's... Their hair is done differently, so I don't. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be a horror or not. Oh, hmm. maybe not. But I mean, if it is a horror, I definitely don't know who the dude is that she's walking with. Well, it could be anybody. But um, does he look a little bit like um, Mr. Leslie? I guess so. And then he's tall. Well, in that he's got a red shirt. Red and shirt. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. So maybe he isn't Mr. Leslie. But his face looked a little bit like him later yeah. in the comic. Right. So, so the guy was in the navigational chair a couple times. Oh, okay. Was that him? Yeah. And by the way, I have some comments about Mr. Leslie. All right, go ahead. Which I think are rather interesting. And actually, we see more of him in the next issue. So let's, let's talk about him then. Okay, because, yeah, I don't even see him in this issue. Yeah, I'm scanning again, and I don't see him either. So I think he's in the next one. Okay. All right. So um, one other thing about when Chekhov and or when McCoy and Spock are having that little conversation about we always get to go with him. Right. There on the uh, wall is a human skull or a, a humanoid-looking skull. Mm-hmm. Gray. Yeah, is is that from the show? Did McCoy decorate with bones of <laughs> with skulls <laughs> with bones? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember that. I've never. I didn't remember it, and I was looking at it, going, hey, "Is he a predator?" And that's one of his trophies. Why would he have a skull on his wall? Uh, maybe he likes to recite Shakespeare on occasion. <laughs> maybe that's it. Alas, Poriorik. I knew him well. Maybe. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, I good point. I, I don't know, but but he is a doctor. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but in the future, would you really need to carry around uh, a skull or <laughs> well, a model of a skull? It. It's just, it's sitting on the sh- on the shelf. I know, but why would he need to ever go look at it when he could just pull up a scan of? Ah, uh, true, true, true. Probably shoot a holograph up, which we never see, right, in, in the TV show. But still. There's so many ways you could do it. Right. Good point. I didn't even notice it. Or I, th- I might have noticed it, but I didn't really think that much about it. And then what did you think about the artwork of the vehicles and the town itself there on Modala? Um, I thought I thought they were interesting. I liked it when they were blowing up. That was pretty cool. So when they actually had the uh, explosion. Yeah, they're on page 16. Uh, I think... 16 yes exactly so i thought the artwork of the explosions of which there were cars around i thought that was very cool uh and those are those cars are interesting aren't they yeah they reminded me of something we would see in like a gold key comic where they look Ah. like like a earth car except just slightly off right because they do have four wheels um but definitely the suspensions and 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 (laughs) how the front wheels in particular are attached generally speaking yeah, so they're actually, yeah, they're actually out on arms, so right. that uh, 
So that it looks like like the car has these arms that are holding the the wheels on the ground. Right. It's like something they're purposely doing to uh, give it a lot of um, ground clearance. And also, they kind of look like they're they're electric of some kind vehicles because you know you really don't see any kind of um, you know transmission or crankshafts or you know whatever. Right. Well, you definitely don't see any type of axle that would right. No axle. Keep keep the two wheels in sync. Exactly. It looks like more one of those cool ones where they actually have the motors built into the wheel, so uh, the power just goes to it and. Uh, and moves them, or maybe the maybe the power's in the back, and those wheels are just for steering. But that depends upon the design, because there's one where the vehicle gets blown up. On page nineteen, uh, so the rebel vehicle gets blown up. Oh yeah, and that guy, all four wheels appear to be very far away from the body of the uh, car. Yep, yeah, you're right. Um, so it depends on the style, but at least that one looks like a, um, you know. Yeah, that page nineteen explosion was big. That guy's clothes are getting ripped off. Exactly. I, I didn't notice that before. Yeah. So he's got no shirt on, and even his bandolero or what going over his shoulder gets uh, ripped off. It's That's pretty funny. cool. It's it's good art. I like. Yeah, it. I really like it when the building explodes and you see like people being caught up in the explosion. Right. Uh, it was was it was interesting. Indeed. I like when Kirk was called a rebel scum. You rebel scum. Didn't they do that in Star Wars? Oh yeah, that's a Star Wars reference. There you go. There you go. Rebel scum. Like that. <laughs> and they were kind of stormtrooper esque, even though you could see their bottom half of their face, but they were they were all wearing identical trooper uniforms. Ah. Good point. They kinda look like Judge Dredd a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think they look more like Judge Dredd than Stormtroopers. Right. But, yeah. And where did they get those marvelous toys? Yeah, I'm looking forward to finding that out. Exactly. Well, um, what's I look forward to seeing how they're going to stretch out this storyline across so many issues. Because right now it looks like a pretty straightforward case of the Klingons or somebody arming somebody on the planet with advanced weapons, uh, kind of like multiple uh, TV series episodes. But it's going to have to be something more intricate for it to spread across so many issues, uh, comic book issues. Right. Well, here's my guess. I, I think that they're going to do the cop-out where they, they decide to hold off until the next generation to, to reevaluate them for... Ah, good point. First contact, and then they're going to wait 80 years to do it. I I don't know. I don't know if that's what they do or not, but... (laughs) Well, they got to get to the bottom of who's giving them these weapons, because it just smells of uh, extraterrestrial influence. Yep. Which is definitely against the Prime Directive. Well, at least they can't do that. But still, somebody else is messing with this uh, society. Yeah, and then the uh, Organians, they... Weren't they against it, too? I mean, they were the ones that were... Wasn't that the episode where they were given the well, weapons to them? The Klingons was? And then no. Kirk, Kirk had to create the resistance? Well, Kirk had to create the resistance because the Klingons took over the planet because they wanted it because of the strategic position or some reason like that. So they weren't giving them weapons. Oh, they okay. just took over the planet because they needed it for some reason. Don't remember the reason. Uh, and the Organians were peaceful sheep. But they didn't realize what was really going on. Anyway, so that one was definitely not um, not arming anybody. But okay. there was that other one with the hill people and the uh, and the valley people and the Mugatu and uh, that really hot brunette witch woman. Uh, that was one where the Klingons were arming them with uh, with rifles. Yeah, they were like old-style rifles, weren't they? Exactly. Earth-style so rifles. Oh, yeah, they... they um, right, they... Actually, it turns out that the Enterprise, uh, they start manufacturing... Uh, flint, Scotty manufactures flintlocks for them. Oh, that's right, that's right. And then he, they even talk about the idea of next time they, they give them an upgrade, it'll have, like, rifle barrels and stuff. <laughs> and the whole idea of both sides... 
you know, Klingons give them another weapon, then the Enterprise gives them another weapon, and anyway. Anyways. Kind of like what was going on in uh, Vietnam and uh, Korea. Good thing they don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing we don't, uh, you know, try to influence uh, other countries. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so I don't think I had anything else about uh, number one. Uh, the only other thing I had was... That was a mighty good toss that Kirk just throws the communicator over his shoulder. Ah. It happens to land on the street. A car just happens to run right over it. Yeah. Wow. So that was pretty good. Now, what happened to Chekhov's communicator? I don't know if he even had one. What? It's landing party. I know, but I think they're implying that he didn't have one. Okay, because I don't remember them saying anything about it in particular. But oh. you'd think that he had plenty of opportunity to take it out by now. <laughs> right. Uh, or at least we'll see in the next issue. He had plenty of opportunity to take it out, uh, exactly. but he didn't. So for whatever reason, I agree with you. He doesn't have one, but I don't know why he doesn't have one. Agreed. Doesn't make sense. No. That's standard landing party uh, kit. And by the way, they didn't bring phasers down? You know, phaser type 1 or something? Apparently not. Well, because Kirk was so confident that this was going to go so smooth. Well, you ain't kidding, boy. You you go down alone with a noob, uh, and, and that's cool. You want to bring the guy along, but you know, you know, give, give him some seasoning. But you, like, you don't bring any red shirts to exactly. Somebody else has to die. Exactly. Come on. <laughs> All right. So I I did think that the uh, the staffing was rather odd, but whatever. So we'll see if that ends up biting him in the rear Arse. end. Yes. Shall we move on to number two? Let's do it. Okay, so this is uh, issue number two of the Modala Imperative, and this one's titled Tools of Tyranny. Published date is August, early August, 1991. Um, all the same people are involved, will not repeat. And shall we start? Why not? The cover shows Kirk, Spock, and a very young Chekhov. The Enterprise is on the bottom. Uh, the background is made up of a star field uh, and a tan-colored planet. The Medalla Imperative slash Star Trek logo is at the top. And I also want to mention that uh, the way they depict Spock is on the right-hand portion of the cover. And he is turned inward, uh, facing uh, left, in a very similar position to what Kirk was in uh, on the first issue's cover. But in this case, they're just plopping Spock in the same spot. But in this case, his arms are behind his back, Spock's arms. And in, when the Kirk was on the right, standing on the on the right por portion of the issue one cover, his hands were like like down, but they're both facing the same direction. Uh, they use, uh, at least Donovan tells me, because I haven't looked at the other covers, that they use a similar kind of layout in the future uh, issues. The story opens up in an Enterprise conference room with Spock addressing McCoy and Scotty. Spock says the question before us is not as easy as it seems. The three discuss the prime directive and debate how Kirk and Chekhov's presence may be adversely interfering with the normal development of the Modala cultures and civilization, despite their best intentions. Spock questions the wisdom of sending a second landing party who could compound the problem. McCoy and Scotty advocate sending down a second landing party to prevent prolonged exposure of the Modala to Kirk and Chekhov. After su sufficient discussion, Spock agrees and they prepare a second landing party that will be made up of Spock alone. Meanwhile, in a Modala prison, Kirk is talking to a rebel who tells them that the Chris Aya faction is to blame for their world becoming a fascist world. The crackpot direction they wanted to take society in would never have actually happened without the advanced weaponry they suddenly started using on all opposition. The rebel confirms that no one knows where the Krisaya faction got the weapons. Kirk is bent on finding the source of those advanced weapons. McCoy tries to talk Spock out of going down alone and is finally successful with a logical argument, of all things. He reasoned that if Spock said 
a second opinion was valuable to confirm his original decision to beam down a second team, despite the risks of further contamination, then it would be equally valuable on the planet, where critical decisions will have to be made. Kirk and Chekhov talk over a light meal in their Modala dungeon. Kirk tells Chekhov he has been incarcerated in alien jails many times while on away missions. It's all part of the job, Kirk says. Chekhov reveals how bad he feels about his ineptitude on this mission so far. Kirk is surprised and gives Chekhov a pep talk, when suddenly Kirk is struck from behind by a thug guard for not returning his plate promptly enough. Chekhov knocks the guard on his arse while saying, Nobody does that to James T. Kirk. Chekhov is the next to get hit from behind by another guard. Kirk placates the guards by going passive. As he helps Chekhov to a seated position on a bench, he thinks that Chekhov may have a case of hero worship. He pities the position Chekhov is in right now and unfortunately feels bad about the fact that he, Kirk, put him in it. Elsewhere, Spock and McCoy beam down to the surface in local clothing. They are almost immediately spotted by two riot police, one of which shoots at McCoy. They both note the weapon is far too advanced for this planet's level of development. They lose the police in a crowd that is watching some shirtless men pick up rubble and put it into an open bed truck. A bystander gives them a friendly word of warning not to speak to each other unless they want to start taking part in the work crew cleanup. McCoy asks what they are cleaning up, and the citizen quickly and quietly tells him a rebel bomb was set off earlier in the day. Spock and McCoy both discuss the possibility that Kirk and Chekhov could have been caught in the blast. Back on the Enterprise, Dr. Mbega and Nurse Chapel have a quick chat, establishing the fact that the doctor spent several years treating Vulcans and learned detachment. Clearly this page is a filler page that has nothing to do with the story so far. Back in jail, Kirk takes an opportunity to start coaching the rebels in how to rebel more effectively. Rather than just trying to kill the Christians, try to attack the source of their power, disrupt their supply lines, put sand in, their, in the engines of their vehicles. One of the more intelligent rebels asks if other rebellions have started to spring up since it sounds like Kirk has done this kind of thing before. Kirk thinks how he has done this type of thing before on Organia against Klingons, but he can't tell them about that. Always with the prime directive. Kirk successfully tells them he has seen it done before and it works. It's far better than spilling blood. Theirs as well as the uh, Christians. The new rebel leader uh, that replaced the one that was killed in the explosions says his approach is interesting and they will try it if they ever get a chance. Chekhov con congratulates the captain on putting the rebellion on a more effective track. Kirk says, more effective and hopefully with a lower body count. Kirk says it's nothing Chekhov could not have done. It just takes some chutzpah. Elsewhere, Spock checks in with Mr. Scott on the Enterprise and tells them that they have found no sign of the captain or Chekhov. He tells them they are safe for now, but that changes by the minute down here. Their next move is to check a place Dr. McCoy believes they will learn something of value. Spock out. They go to a tavern of all places and walk right up to the bartender to pump him for information. They mistakenly ask for uh, an alcoholic drink, which turns out to be a banned substance. Instead, they have a purple drink, and then describe Kirk and ask if the bartender has seen him around. Suddenly, the guard the bartender gets agitated and says he has never heard of them, no matter what they look like. Later, Spock is questioning the wisdom of McCoy's plan to ask a bartender. McCoy says the plan was right, but this particular bartender was wrong. 
McCoy says he is open to new ideas, but if they blunder around much more, they will likely be spotted as outsiders. Just then, the lady Kirk and Chekhov helped the previous day approaches their table and says she might be able to help them find their friends. She sits with them and tells them Kirk and Chekhov helped her, maybe even saved her life. Because of that, she has to help them somehow. McCoy asks her to confirm whether they are still alive. She says last time she saw them, they were alive, but they were being taken away to a place that they are likely to stay for the rest of their lives. To be continued. That does not sound good. No. No, no. That's right. They were taken away to Aurora Pinthe? <laughs> uh, the was... Modala version of uh, Aurora Panthe, yes. <laughs> Aurora Panthe. Aurora Panthe, something right. like that. Exactly. Okay, so what do you think? The plot thickens, eh? It does. And I want to get a hat like Spock has when he beams down to that planet. <laughs> Spock always has to cover his ears, and uh, he picks a particularly interesting hat this time. <laughs> it looks so stupid. <laughs> well, and and nobody else is wearing weird hats. So I mean, I think yeah. he would he'd probably turn less heads if he just walked around with his ears showing. <laughs> maybe, maybe it, it is a weird hat, unique. <laughs> Anyways, but okay. no, this is this was good. Um, I don't, I didn't like it quite as much as the first issue, but uh, I think it was still it was still good. Yeah, well, it's moving things along. Uh, they're definitely learning more things about uh, what's happening on the planet. Well, not really. They know well, that that the well the other people somehow got more powerful, but they don't know how yet. Right. And they're also learning more about the strengths and weaknesses of the rebel force. And they're beginning to maybe train them in how to be more effective, but they got to get out of prison first. And according to that lady, uh, not too many people get out of that prison. I don't necessarily agree with, with Kirk's comment that he can advise them, but he just can't help help them. And still, I mean, he, he could basically tell them how to fight this these people, and that's not going to break the Prime Directive. Oh. That seemed weird to me. Well, yeah. And his point about lessening the body count? Well, it, definitely no two ways about it. These rebels are dumb. I mean, they're just, they're just well... It, do they not realize yet about these weapons? Because uh, they're just driving right into the maws, uh, <laughs> the maw of death. So I don't know. Well, they blew uh, up one ship, one building, so they thought they could uh, take over everything. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Well, that is that was pretty stupid. Unless, yeah. unless they wanted to get captured. Well, I doubt that. I think what they wanted to do is big explosion, everybody's attention. Then you drive down the middle of the street and and scream out your message. You got people's attention, that's for sure. But then it's like think it through, guys. I mean, you know, the the police force is going to be there with their wonder weapons. So I don't know. Yeah, and I couldn't quite tell when they were shooting those weapons. Were they stunning them or was it killing them? Well, um, I. One of the first guys or second guys to get shot square in the chest was uh, the original rebel leader, the guy that was doing all the talking. And he didn't die. Right? Oh, I think he did die. Oh, okay. Because um, you never see him again. I think. I think this. I think another, like maybe a second in command. I don't know. Uh, had mentioned something about the leader being gone or being dead. Okay. Yeah. Well, that these, makes sense. The, these these Judge Dredd stormtroopers are nasty. They're thugs. Uh, they beat. They, drop of a hat. They're beating uh, Kirk and uh, Chekhov in prison. Um, and they're well, not and only they're, that, but they were beating that poor woman in the first issue. Ah, exactly. There you go. They're, that too. And for doing what? Talking to each other, so nobody can talk to each other. That's that's pretty extreme. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, if you're not allowed to talk to people, then then why do you have cars that can hold more than one person? It, oh. Or, how can people be productive? I mean, how many jobs can you do unless you're like an individual artisan building a bench? I mean, you got to talk to people. So it's like, how can you do? How can people do work? Yeah, don't think about it too hard, Ken. I'm trying not to. Anyway, 
So uh, could I mention something in art in the art area? Yeah, that sure. leads to something else. Please. Okay. In the navigator station, let me try to. I didn't write the page number down. I don't know why I didn't do that. But um, there is a scene on the bridge. Uh, Scotty in the command chair, probably towards the end, where um, Mr. Leslie is, or there's a guy that looks real in the navigator station that looks really unhappy. <laughs> I mean, you're the talking look about on, on face, page 19. Oh, you're good. You're good. You found it before I did. I should have. I don't know why I didn't write it down. Um, they, yes, exactly. Look at him. No, I mean, he's he's angry. He he is he is one pissed off dude. And maybe it's because of his hairstyle. Because it looks like he's almost got kind of a semi um, Wolverine kind of weird sticking up hair on the side or something. I don't know. Right. So nope. he's probably unhappy about his haircut. But uh, then he is referred. To as Mr. Leslie. I'm not quite sure where he's referred to it, but he's referred to as Mr. Leslie. And I said, Leslie, huh? That guy was in the original. Oh, here it is. Uh, Sulu on page um, 22. I was thinking about Chekhov, Leslie, because uh, Leslie makes some comment in the previous Right, panel. yeah, I remember that. And it's like, Leslie, I know that guy. So I went ahead and did a quick, quick look up. Would you like to? Would you like to hear about Mr. Leslie? I and, do. And the I actor, and the actor that played him. And this, and this is the guy from the original pilot where No Man Has Gone Before. Um, he was from the original TV series. Uh, oh, okay. I don't know that he would. He might have been the, in the original pilot. I'm not quite sure. Okay. All right. But, yeah. Tell but, me about it. Here's a little bit of information. Uh, compliments of the web. Eddie Paskey, who's the actor who played it, played uh, Mr. Leslie, rarely had anything to say. But as Lieutenant Leslie, he appeared in roughly half of all the original series episodes. Hmm. If you don't know who he is, watching the episode This Side of Paradise, he's the guy waiting to transport down to the planet who commits mutiny in front of Captain Kirk. Eddie had a great career on the Enterprise. He's been seen wearing a gold, blue, and red shirt... He died and came back to life in the same episode. <laughs> Obsession is the episode. And I got I to gotta look at it now. I got to go back and check that one. Um, he's been Spock pinched. He's been the navigator and is uh, one of only a handful of people ever to sit on the con. Hmm. He even played Mr. Connors, one of McCoy's medical assistants. And in a different entry, it said Eddie Paskey had, uh, had w- was on occasion a double for Kirk. Like during uh, for, the fight for, for William Shatner. I don't know whether it was a stunt double or I, I guess it should be a stunt double. But he's, he's listed as an actor, not, not necessarily a, a stunt man. Oh, that's funny. But that is, that is funny, isn't he? I, I, the, the fact that he's been in like every shirt color is really interesting. And... Uh, and the fact that he uh, he dies and comes back to life in an episode, <laughs> I never noticed that. It's funny. I'm going to have to go back and look at those. What episode did you think said he come, dies and comes back on? Obsession. Obsession. Right. Got to look at that one. And one last piece of information about Mr. Paskey is that supposedly um, he was uh, somehow a friend of uh, Shatner. And in, there was a scene where he was going... To, to say something to the character that he was playing, I suppose, uh, well, to the character he was playing, who I suppose might have been at the Navigator Con. And the original line in the script did not include the guy's name. He just said something. And uh, I guess Shatner thought, well, I, somehow it seems like, like I should know the guy if I'm the captain and he's a, he's, a, he's a bridge officer or something. You know, I should be able to say the guy's name, you know, call him my name. And so he ends up saying, uh, Mr. Leslie, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he got his name. Uh, he was named after one of Kirk's uh, daughters. One of Shatner's daughters? Oh, I'm sorry, Shatner's daughters. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's the same thing, right? Yeah, he, <laughs> he, the Shat. Yeah, Kirk, the same thing. Yeah, so that's there's another piece of information. So I'm done talking about Eddie Paskey. Well, that is fascinating because I did not know who he was. Neither did I. I just thought he was some random dude in here that had weird hair. Weird hair and a 
pissed off look. And if it wasn't for his pissed off look that he was given, that I, I, I probably wouldn't have even noticed him enough to look him up. <laughs> but I feel enriched now. As am I. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, no problem. So overall, what did you think of the artwork in this one? Did you did you think that it wasn't as good as the first one, or better or same? <sighs> I think overall it's about the same. But but I you know I, I'll say that <laughs> Lieutenant Leslie looks unusually pissed. Um, <laughs> there's definitely spots where Spock looks pretty weird in his in his getup. Right. Uh, is, is that like a Tolkien hat or something? I don't know. I don't know where <laughs> don't they got know. that from. Um, yeah, well, yeah, it's about the same, I guess. Well, what do you think about Nurse Chapel there on page 15? Oh, Nurse 15? Chapel. Uh, the, the throwaway page, the filler page? Yeah. Um, I thought, well, I, I thought, I thought she, she had some facial characteristics, um, of the actress, but, Majel Barrett, but, yeah. Really? I, I didn't a, a see lot, A lot of her was different. I wouldn't well, have she, known that was Nurse Chapel unless he actually called her that. Christine. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think her chin a little bit. Cause she's got kind of a prominent uh, area below her lip. I think Majel Barrett kind of had that. But, yeah, you're right. A lot of other characteristics doesn't look that like that much like her. Right. I don't know. I just thought this one had more instances where the act, the characters did not look like the actors. Like the actors? Huh? That could be. More than the first one. Yeah, and I don't. Re- I, I remember that there was a, a Doctor Umbega. I remember that character from some point in the TV show, but I I don't remember what he looked like or whether he looked like this depiction. Yeah, same here. He was a one-time character, so that was throwaway. And there was another. There was another uh, page that was throwaway. Um, that was just filler. That really didn't promote the story. Uh, and I don't know where it is, but it was on. It was on the. Um, I think it was Scotty uh, on the bridge. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So so there it is on page uh, twenty two. Twenty two. Where actually Leslie is um, is, is where Sulu calls him by by name. Oh yeah 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 yeah. So so that was just just. Well, Scotty. that that wasn't necessarily a throwaway well, because it was. It was a big deal. Scotty saying that he's you know he was hard on him because. Yeah. Well, okay, so fine. He says why he was hard on him, uh, and he and Sulu says he did the right thing. I think he said that. Anyway, so the the thing is, um, they could have complete that had more relevance to the storyline than the Nurse Chapel one. But really, if you didn't have this page in there, would that really have changed the narrative? True. I mean, yeah. True. Nothing of significance happened in here to promote the, to, to continue the storyline. You just get a little bit more detail around the fringes. Right, gotcha. But when you have these many issues, I mean, yeah, sometimes some filler gets in there. Well, I, I guess to some degree it's kind of a luxury, isn't it? If you're able to spread it across multiple issues, there are probably a lot of issues where you're saying, it's one issue, got to get it all in here. And right. there's probably some parts you'd like to put in there to, to explain things a little better or you know, make it a better story, but you have to cut. So it's probably nice that they got a little bit more space to do things in a multi-issue yeah, arc and like this. Nurse Chapel and Scotty might be in the next two issues, and maybe that maybe they're a little... Maybe this is more of a foreshadowing thing to well later. The, I don't know. I haven't read yeah. it in a long time. The only thing I thought with the Nurse Chapel thing is if she was like actually monitoring something about McCoy, if that's what she was looking at, and uh, that somehow ties into uh, you know uh, the, the narrative later. But it's like I don't even know what she's looking at. She's just checking some instrument. I think she's just trying to keep her mind off of losing. Spock, because this oh, would be back Spock. when she's really hung up on Spock. Ah, if it's good. the beginning of season two. Good point. Good point. I was thinking more like she was worried about McCoy, but you're right. Spock. Spock, that old Vulcan devil. <laughs> Alright, what else you got? Um, I think the brunette at the end that helps uh, uh, McCoy and Spock. Right. Um uh, I think she's pretty cute and lively, but she has the largest yellow earrings I've ever seen. Uh, they 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 look almost so big they're like 
metal Princess Leia hair earmuffs. They, they are huge. They do look like that. So Were they, they that big in the first issue? I can't remember. Uh, I'd have to go back and look. I don't remember them being that big. She might have changed outfits. I'm not sure. but um... They're not allowed to change clothes. <laughs> that takes another redesign of an outfit. Come on. Yeah, she's she has them in the first yeah. issue. Yeah, she got the same outfit. Yeah, they're they're just huge. I mean, they they look like they have some electronics in them or something. But Maybe they do. Maybe they're perhaps. Bluetooth. <laughs> the largest Bluetooth device ever made. <laughs> well, they are primitive. True. True. Now, let's just talk about that real quick. They they're going. They Kirk went to that planet ten years ago because they were spacefaring back then. Exactly. So did they have warp drive back then? Well, I agree with you because I thought you're not supposed to make first contact until they have warp drive. That's what I right. thought. Not just spacefaring, but warp drive. Exactly. And if you have warp drive and you start venturing out into the universe, it's not going to take too long before you stumble across somebody. Right, right. So to me, the whole idea of waiting 10 years for seasoning, uh, right. if they're already out there flying around past their solar system, um, if you don't do it, somebody else is going to. <laughs> exactly. You know, by accident or whatever. Right. And, and wouldn't you think um, if you got space travel and stuff, I mean, you know, wouldn't you think you have some kind of lasers? I mean, come on. Well, there was no lasers during the Cochrane episode or movie. Well, I know, but they that, were still was ten, using projectiles. that was ten years. Well, yeah, but that was one ship. I mean, they didn't even have. They didn't. I wouldn't quite call that great space capability. Besides, we were blasting ourselves almost into uh, another Stone Age. Right, but yet we were. But, well, I guess that was before the Federation. Maybe the Federation has different first contact rules than. Vulcans did. Right. And, and really, did, did the Vulcans really have first contact protocols when they came to Earth anyway? I don't know. I think they did because in, in the episodes of Enterprise, they really right. stressed, or T'Pol was really stressing that that they shouldn't be introducing themselves to non-spacefaring societies. Societies, right? Oh, the forerunner for the Prime Directive. Mm. Exactly, because I think he, there was even an episode where at the end, Archer's like, we really should have some sort of directive as far as this goes. <laughs> Good idea. Anyways. We'll call it Prime. Yeah, a, a really important directive that cannot exactly. be divisible by any other, any other directive. <laughs> exactly, Mr. Math. There you go. That's good. I like that. Uh, that's all I got for this one. That's all I got, too. Yeah, I, I didn't have that many notes, really. <laughs> I didn't either, and we, we covered a lot of them during the, the first issue, so exactly. I didn't have that much. General uh, about the only thing I had was, who, who's Captain Garth? The the person that, that Kirk was infatuated oh, right. with during his Starfleet Academy days. Good point. Uh, Actually, no. Hmm. It's it seems familiar though. Did you look it up? I did not. Cause that Garth Captain Garth sounds familiar. Is he friends with Captain Wayne? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. And they were party on all the time. Exactly. Captain Garth. Okay, so there was a Captain Garth. So that was in that was in the episode whom God destroyed. And I think we looked him up before because I recognized the guy. That was the one where he's a former captain who is now uh, some kind of a, a criminally insane few, uh, criminal or something, and he tries to take over the Enterprise in that episode. Oh, and, and is it? And Kirk says that he was his mentor. I that, that kind of sounds familiar. <sighs> All right. Anyway, so uh, definitely this is a reference to – Captain Garth is a reference to a character we saw in the original TV series. Is it the same guy, though? Not 100% sure. Okay. Anyway, so there you go. Uh, All right. A little, and... a little, little dose of uh, Trek history goodness. Yep. Thank you, uh, Memory Beta and Memory Alpha, so that 
we don't have to know all this off the top of our head. Exactly. And in this case, Wikipedia. So. Oh, yeah, that was regular Wikipedia? That's a Wikipedia entry. Whew. So it was actually an, an entry about the episode Whom Gods Destroy. <laughs> all right. Right. Okay, so uh, if we're done with this issue, uh, we are also done with the episode because there's no elsewhere since we've already covered these months. Which we I don't think I ever mentioned the month. The, the first one came out late July, and the second one came out early August right. of 91. Right. And when it said late July, early August, was that a period when they were doing uh, two issues in a month? Uh, for, the, for this miniseries, they did. Okay. okay. So it was during the summer, and they really wanted to take advantage of the 25th anniversary. Right. So they, they pumped these eight issues out pretty quick. And they're high-quality issues, so, I mean, they must have had a, a decent head start. Yeah, and I really like how the Next Generation crew, or the Next Generation creators jumped over to do the four original series issues, and then right. Peter David and, and the original series crew were over at the Next Generation that for is those cool. four issues. So That's cool. It's kind of cool that they got to work with... Uh, Another sandbox. Right. Now, I, I, I like what I'm seeing here so far in these two issues and what the uh, next-gen team is doing in the uh, original Trek world. I look forward to seeing what Peter, David, and company do uh, with next-gen. Yes. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get issue number one next week along with the last two issues of this one. Sounds good, man. All right. So until next week, talk to everybody later. Thanks for joining us on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Right. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name Book Review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here